Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show, I just finished interviewing my friend, Dr. Dyke Drummond. Dyke is a medical doctor, but one of his expertise is helping people to overcome burnout, stress, to increase their wellness in life. And so Dyke was a doctor, and then, of course, he reached and became uh, an individual, a physician that was burned out, and as a result of that, Uh, started his own business of helping other physicians to overcome burnout. But all the principles that we're going to talk about in the show today apply to all of us that are in a profession of some sort where we're serving others, helping others, hospitality, HR professionals, coaches, trainers, whatever the case, leaders, entrepreneurs especially, law enforcement, is today's content applies to you. And when we think about the amount of people that are burned out, how critically important it is to address it. And by the way, when we talk about and get into how do I address burnout, how do I mitigate it, reduce it, and transform my life to reduce it, is all the things that CRG are doing in terms of our tools, our resources, our book, The Quest for Purpose, apply to resolving this condition that we have. So enjoy the show with Dr. Dyke. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's guest is awesome because I personally know him, met him over a decade ago. And when I think about the word stress or for you, is there anybody you know that's stressed? Anybody that has health issues? Anybody that could improve their wellness levels? Well, we have somebody who can speak to that in multiple different levels, but we also have a personal connection on his own journey to be able to reduce his own stress, to be able to go to the next level. So we have an MD with us, Dr. Dyke Drummond. Dyke, thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure, Ken. Now, the listeners, what we usually do is we want to find out a little bit about your journey, Dyke. You're an MD, Mayo-trained doctor, so this is uh, the elite uh, space. But now you've created this whole process called the Happy MD. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, just your story, Dyke, where did you grow up and what was the journey to you get into med school? Oh, well, I was born and raised in Columbus, Indiana. And uh, as a schoolboy, high school boy, my dad was transferred by Cummins Engine Company over to England. I grew up in England, English boys' oh, really? school. Wow. English boys' school, learned how to play rugby, all that kind of stuff. Came back, uh, went to Indiana University captain their rugby team one of my players is named mark cuban and that is the mark cuban so oh, really wow the one with the movie was made of <laughs> the one who uh, owns the dallas mavericks and um, <laughs> oh, I was that at, mark cuban okay. uh, yeah i was at his 60th birthday in uh, dallas just a couple of weeks ago and i uh, graduate graduated from iu went to medical school at mayo most doctors who tell you they went to mayo were actually residents there i was in their little tiny medical school only about 40 doc 40 folks in each class each year now i want to just stop for a second uh, like you you graduated uh from indiana what did you graduate with was that a science degree or biology honors biology and so why biology? What was motivating you to go in that direction at that time? Well, I was a kid who uh, uh, was fascinated by cleaning fish as a teenager, right? Just how beautiful things are on the inside. And always had a terrarium, always had pets, always interested in nature, ecology. I came at it from an ecology back uh, interest. And actually, when I was in college, what I wanted to be was Philippe Cousteau, who is uh, Jacques' son. Right, so right. I saw the National Geographic specials and wanted to be a marine biologist, and things got a little bit turned around. But my story is a little unique. I'd be happy to share it with you, but I ended up being a doctor. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I have a little, a little teeny, teeny part of that conversation way back when, and we'll come to that in a minute. So now you are. What was the sort of the motivation or direction to go to med school? 
Well, when I when I got done with, uh, uh, I was actually a senior, and I looked at what was available to me if I was to continue as a biologist. It was at least in Indiana, it looked like it was just lab work. And I thought to myself, if I was going to be in a lab as a uh, a master's degree or even a way of making a living, I'd end up shooting myself because I couldn't imagine anything more depressing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is the perfect pre-med degree. I'll apply to some med schools, some good ones, and if I get in, well, we'll just see what happens. And, and? Just, so, just so you know, I've asked thousands of doctors about their decision to become a doctor, and mine's not atypical. Uh, the, the normal population of people thinks that doctors, you know, from the age of five knew they were going to be a neurosurgeon, that kind of light on the road to Damascus moment, but it's not true. So I applied to a bunch of places, uh, uh, interviewed at Mayo, turns out at Mayo you get one faculty interview. It's a half an hour. It's the one face-to-face -face with somebody at Mayo that you have. And I just happened to get matched with a guy who was an ex-rugby player, and we talked rugby for a half an hour. He never, asked me a, he never asked me a single question about med school or my desires to be a doctor. There were 920 applicants from out of state for the five slots that were available, and I got an acceptance letter for one. And I thought to myself when I pulled it out of the mailbox, I'd be crazy not to go. So I went. Five? Five out of 920. Five out of 900 applications. Wow. Based wow. on my rugby experience. <laughs> Based on rugby. Isn't it about relationships, Dyke? Just connections, people. <clears throat> it's, you know, we were just talking with another guest about uh, influence, and influence is really about empathy and connecting with other individuals. And that's what you did. Well, not by choice. He wanted to talk rugby. <laughs> I, must have put it on, I must have put it on my bio. Must have. Must have was put it So off to Mayo. Uh, how did that go? Well, uh, Mayo's an interesting place. Mayo is uh, the epitome of the system is the solution. So at Mayo at the time, if when you saw a patient, uh, what you would do is you would get a little uh, a sheet of paper that had uh, all the different tests that you could run on the patient, and next to each one was that little bubble you used to fill in with a pencil, right? Mm. So you'd see the patient, you'd fill in the bubbles you want, it, it goes into some giant computer system, and the patient comes back in two days with all the test results. And for me, um, I was more of a hands-on person. So as soon as I got out of Mayo, as soon as I had a chance to go someplace else, I went to places where you got to touch human beings. You got to touch people. You got to put in IVs. You got to do all this stuff, hands-on, hands-on. And that was what I wanted to do because when I went to medical school, once I made that decision, my role model was my GP from when I was growing up. His name was Dr. Schmidt. And he was he – was, super old, and he uh, had his office in the basement, in the lower floor of a house. And so if you've ever seen Norman Rockwell pictures of mm. you know, the, little, the little kid with his pants down looking at the doctor's diploma waiting to get his immunization, yeah, his office looked like that. And so I wanted to be a do-everything GP. That was the only, when I thought doctor, that's the only image that came to me. Mm. That's what I wanted to do from the, from the get-go. Now, you're living on the West Coast. Where did you settle after Mayo? Where did you go to? Well, Mayo was med school. I went to a residency in Reading, which is famous for burning just a couple of weeks ago. The car in fire. In California, for those that are out of uh, country. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, settled in Mount Vernon, Washington, which is halfway between Seattle and Washington State and Vancouver and British Columbia up in Canada. Wow. And what, uh, what was sort of uh, driving Mount Vernon? How did that decision come to light? Oh, my my uh, now ex-wife and I sat down and said, okay, we're going to settle down, uh, start a practice, raise a family. What would be the ideal attributes of the ideal community? And uh, we wrote down, I think, five or six things that went like this. Small town within an hour of a four-year university in a big city on the ocean and the mountains with a river flowing through it with all five species of salmon and a local rugby team. Well, man, what a checklist. And there we go, Mount Vernon. Here we go. Mount Vernon or, or Bellingham. <laughs> yep. And I've driven by those many, many times. As you know, I'm just north of you, and my uh, relatives live in Seattle. And so there's Mount Vernon. There we go. Yep. Shopping shopping mecca, right, for outlet stores. So if you say so. Not, not. So with that, okay, now we are. We're at a doctor, GP, starting to evolve in your practice, what sort of unfolded the next few years? 
Well, I was a full-service family doc, so I delivered babies. Ultimately, I delivered about 500 of them. Saw everything. Um, I was also a member of the leadership team of the organization I joined. So I joined a 40-doctor multi-specialty group, and I was their um, chairman of their executive committee within a year. And so it's always been practice and leadership. And then uh, I flamed out of my practice about 10 years in. So I was 40, 1999. And when I did the multiplication, I'd had about 35,000 patient visits. And uh, for me, everybody's different when it comes to burnout. You've emphasized wellness in your introduction. I'm just going to shoot right at burnout. So um, my burnout was a little bit unique in that it was a physical sensation. So there I was cruising along. I love being a doctor, by the way. There's nothing more fun. Mm. Uh, combination of detective and teacher and confidant and all those wonderful things that you get with a, a quality relationship with a person that you like as one of your patients. So um, for me, it happened over the course of just a couple of weeks where every time I would go into the office, all of a sudden it felt like I was being put in a chokehold like you see in those UFC cage matches. Mm. And I didn't know what it was. I assumed my batteries were run down. At 10 years in, in this practice, one of the perks that you got was the ability to take a one-month sabbatical, so I did just thinking that I needed some time off. But when I came back, it was as if something fundamental and down my center had snapped, had broken, and it, I, I wasn't able to continue. And so I made the mistake of just signing my resignation and walking away from my career, which I don't recommend, but it's a fundamental feature of most people's burnout that they get so trashed that they want to escape. Mm. So... Um, what it does if you do it that way, though, if you just quit and walk, is you cut off a whole bunch of options that you wish you would had. So um, if you're listening to me and feeling that, that way, too, like, i got to get out of here, don't quit, okay? Let, let's figure out some other things for you to do besides just give it up and walk away because that will burn some bridges. Mm. And we'll go back and forth, like, in just sort of our story together and your story and your expertise so when we think about burnout and as a wellness coach as well, just there are so many people who are disconnected and, you know, depression is high or whatever we want to kind of label these things where people are low energy and, and get into this situation. What do you think contributes to a lot of people, you know, we can use burnout or even just, you know, lack of motivation, lack of connection in life and just what are the contributing factors that, uh, put us into this position. Well, then let's just use overwhelm because um, the the first of the three symptoms of burnout is exhaustion and overwhelm. So I, I would say if I look at it from a global perspective, and my work is almost exclusively with physicians and physician leaders, um, I would say the causes of disengagement and burnout have to do with, one, overwhelm, uh, this sheer volume of things that you have to do. This is certainly true with doctors. <clears throat> and the second would be that you're not conscious of why you do what you do. So I would say unconscious reflex activity. Um, Ex so, explain that a little bit more, Dyke, for the, for the listeners. Uh, so it would be the questions, why do you do what you do for, from a professional standpoint? Why do you do that? What's, what's, what do you like about it? What do you enjoy the most about it? What's your plan for three, five, 12 years from now, right? If you were able to answer those things uh, fairly quickly and fairly cogently, you would be doing things pretty much on purpose. Mm. Um, you probably are on the far side of an episode of burnout because burnout is what clarifies your purpose. Burnout is there to put you back on a track that has more purpose and you are more awake. It's like waking up from being asleep. Mm. Whereas when you step off of somebody else's plan to figure out what your own is. Right. And we can go in that into some detail on that. But burnout is what triggers life transformations that, in hindsight, are what we call wisdom. So um, I would say that it's being asleep and on the treadmill of other people's plans that leads to the overwhelm and the burnout you may find yourself in if you're disengaged at this point in time. Mm. So, Dyke, you're in, you love being a physician and serving people. What do you think contributed to your 
burnout situation there. Well, and the thing about burnout is that if you've seen one person, right, if you've seen one case, you've seen one. There are, there are big picture uh, trends and commonalities, but everybody's case is unique. So mine was um, multi-generational. So if you look back in my history, my mother desperately wanted to become a doctor when she went to college in the 50s. Her mom wanted to be a doctor when she went in the 30s. And my mother's mother's father was a doctor in the Depression in East St. Louis, Illinois. And she had memories of waking up in the morning and finding a chicken tied to the front doorknob because the patient, people couldn't pay yesterday, but they did have a chicken, that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. or, or a hot mm -hmm. pie on the back porch. So there was this dream of another doctor in the family, and I was the third generation. My mother and my grandmother both were, went off to college wanting to be doctors but came back as educators and had long and, and wonderful careers as teachers. My granny taught sixth grade for 30 years in, in Champaign, Illinois, and my mom has a, a, a Head Start Center with her name on it in Michigan. Mm. But when I was born, first male, first grandchild and a boy, the vision was that I would be that doctor. But my mom and grandma weren't people who said that a lot. You're always going to be a doctor. You know, I never heard any of that. But let's just say they were super happy when I turned out to be one. Mm -hmm. And that 40 years when I quit uh, and, and hit my wall, the two things were going on at once. First, my mom and grandma were both dead. And second, as a family doc, one of the things that we like is the, the unknown. So as a family doc, you may have three rooms that you're seeing patients in, but you never know what's in the next room. It's like Florence Gump's box of chocolates. Right. And um, at 10 years, you have enough water under your bridge as a doctor. I, like I said, 35,000 patient visits. At 10 years, the frequency with which you see something you've never seen before it starts to drop pretty dramatically. Mm. So in addition to my mother and my mother's mother and the multi-generational push to have a doctor in the family ending, some of the sparkle had gone out of my practice. And at the time, I didn't know anything about the big picture of why this is happening. But at the time, it just became something that I was done with. It was mm. a phase, and I had completed it. And mm. now I'm in a completely different phase, but it took 10 years to clarify what I do now. Mm. And uh, do you recall us having that conversation one day when after we met? This very same conversation? Well we, well, we had that conversation about your purpose and what was next. Yep. And we had that phone call, and so I was delighted to be part of that. And it's interesting how, you know, expectation of others can contribute to our burnout or even us feeling disconnected where it might even be subliminal, where this happiness about, oh, great, like you're a doctor now. That's what we always wanted for you. So it might be, I mean, they're not trying to be mean-spirited or anything. They're just happy that you were able to fulfill their dream right. on behalf I, of that. I mean, what mom wouldn't want her kid to be a doctor? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Especially exactly. if that kid was happy being the doctor. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was very happy to be a doctor. I thought, I thought it was a fantastic, and uh, it was like, it was like, Forrest Gump's box of chocolates every day, and you were doing important things and making a big difference. And I, I, I felt like I was a, a good doctor, and I really enjoyed it every moment. Mm -hmm. So now we're into this burnout, and you talked about overwhelm and exhaustion. Anything else in that sort of burnout area for people that are kind of feeling that, they're listening to this, or maybe they're working with some individuals who are just not engaged like they used to be, and I'm a leader, I need to pay attention to some of the telltale uh, the signs that are there. So what else could you share with us in that space? Well, burnout is, is well understood. Christina Maslach, M-A-S-L-A-C-H, is the person who did the original research. Her survey, the Maslach Burnout Inventory, is the major one that's used to screen for it. The survey has 22 questions, but there's only three symptoms 
symptom number one is exhaustion, physical and emotional exhaustion. Normally a person will say, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this. Mm -hmm. uh, second symptom is when you get cynical, sarcastic about the people you're meant to serve. It's also known as compassion fatigue. And the third symptom is when you t when you begin to doubt the purpose of your work. You know, I'm not really doing anything here. You know, I don't see any reason to keep going because I'm not making the difference that I have always wanted to make. Um, another uh, internal voice that you might hear if you're at that third symptom is, I'm concerned that if I don't, if things don't change, I'm going to make a mistake and somebody's going to get hurt. Um, and then one of the common things that I see, just this is kind of quirky, but I see it so often. Um, anytime you fantasize about getting hit by a car on the way to work so that you might not have to do whatever it is you do today, you know, maybe I'll get in a car wreck and not have to do my job today. That's a really strong sign mm. of burnout. Now, it's not active suicidal ideation. It's just that little fantasy of something making it so you don't have to go back into work today. Mm. Mm. Wow. So that's an interesting kind of thought about where I just don't have to face the day. It's, it is just a convenient way where I don't have to have this happen again. It's, it's an excuse that people would understand and let me off with, right? Exactly. Okay, because then I don't have to have shame or guilt over something else, yep. uh, such as something as, uh, like you said, suicide or those kinds of things. Okay, now what? You're working with, you have this burnout, it's this overwhelm, exhaustion, both physical and emotional. I think that's an important distinction for people to know that both of those come into play, uh, where you might even, would some of the characteristics people withdraw, they really become insular, they kind of protect themselves, they're more to themselves. Yeah, what ends up happening is, um, the, the, well, first of all, let's just talk a little bit about the characteristics of the people who are more at risk for burnout. Mm. And um, the people who are more at risk for burnout are the people who are in professions where it's expected that you will put your client's interests ahead of your own. Mm. So, for instance, um, if I'm making widgets... I'm making widgets, um, if I'm on a manufacturing line, the work itself doesn't involve me caring more about the widget than I do myself. But if I am in, let's say, hospitality, there we've got a mantra. The customer is always first. Right. So there will be times when you're exhausted, but you'll do something for the customer because that's the, that's the way this particular industry works. In uh, in teaching, in healthcare, in counseling, in uh, being a pastor, a priest, uh, a person who has a flock, right? Uh, in healthcare, our mantra is straightforward. You know, the patient comes first. And so these, uh, these people who carry a fiduciary responsibility for their clients and take it seriously, okay? Um, all of these people are different than the background population of employees and that they have a little bit more at stake and then the ultimate expression of, of putting your clients first would be um, uh, law enforcement to protect mm -hmm. and to serve. And the last and, and most um, obvious example is war fighting military. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at excess burnout risk, it's going to start in hotel and hospitality, go through teachers, counselors, priests, doctors, up through law enforcement and war filing military. And as I say that progression, imagine an exponential curve arcing up mm. and to the right. That's what the burnout risk does. Right. So you have to care about what you do and who you do it for. And the more you care about what you do and who you do it for, the more at risk you are for burnout. Mm. Now, do you feel there is that, uh, what do you call it, Impo opposing needs the need of caring for the client, which is part of your service, yet trying to care for yourself. So I guess part of this discussion is then how do I balance both needs? What well, I and, and um, there's always gray here, but um, what I like to do is think of them as potentially asynchronous, right? So as a doctor, if I'm with the patient, guess who comes first? The mm -hmm. patient. If I'm on the clock, 
right? If I'm seeing patients, if I'm on call, if I'm in the hospital, the patient has to come first. That's mm. the only reasonable stance to take, unless I'm a psychopath. And let's just hold out that the, there are psychopaths and there are exceptions to all these rules. Mm-hmm. But when I'm with the patient, the patient comes first. The challenge is, as a piece of programming, people who are trained to be doctors are never shown that off switch. So let me give you an off switch. In the old days, when your dad used to punch a clock on a mm-hmm. job he didn't care about, mm-hmm. he'd punch that clock, go to the bar, and he wasn't thinking about work. There was a boundary. Mm-hmm. He was either on as a worker or he was off. And your mom the same way, on or off, there were these rituals, and maybe it was a job you didn't care about. But when I take a doctor and shove him through seven years in the medical education system where the patient comes first, by the way, there's a whole bunch more programming that goes on, um, and don't show them the off switch, I mean, it's it, it's always crazy. I go to these, I, I, I train lots and lots of people, and I ask, I don't know. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever found yourself sitting at home thinking about work and the whole room laughs, right? Mm-hmm. But if they're sitting at home thinking about work, they're, they're draining in a different location. They aren't recharging. They've missed that off switch. And so the recharge that allows you to put the patient first ideally happens when you're home and not working. At least that's where a piece of it can happen. Mm. So recharge is important, and then the other half of the equation is lowering the stress of actually doing what it is that you do. So let's just back up for a second, because a lot of our listeners uh, are professionals, but also business owners. Oh, yeah. Well, there's another hat. that, That puts you at excess risk right there. So a lot of times, business owners, it's always on, right? It's never off. You're sitting, what about next? What about the employees? What about the payroll next week? What about the business development? It's always going. Right. You've got, and especially if you're what, in what I call a straddle role, meaning not only are you wearing the hat of the CEO, right, and running the business and managing uh, the processes and the people, but you also are providing some of the services that the business makes money on, mm-hmm. do that straddle one foot in each of those boats. Right. Those are two job descriptions, two different um, uh, stress matrices, if you will. There's stresses that come with serving your clients. There's also stresses that come with running a business. They're different than one another. If you were an employee, you would be able to be in a position of just managing the, the stress of seeing your clients and letting somebody else take care of everything else. Mm. And you can turn it off. It's just not common, mm-hmm. um, especially if, uh, you know, depending on your personality and all that kind of stuff. But you can build a boundary ritual between work and non-work and get better and better at practicing it. Well, let's look at that. So, you know, this first part of burnout, and then we're talking about overwhelm, exhaustion, et cetera, and all these different components about switching on and off. What's sort of next in your process to really help people who are stressed, burned out, whatever kind of word we want to use or verb, uh, what can you share with the audience as far as other things to think about? Well, um, the most important thing is to wake up all the way. So let me just give you an example. If you're feeling all three of the symptoms of burnout, you're feeling exhausted, cynical, and sarcastic about your clients, what the heck, I'm not making a difference anyhow. Mm. Why am I even doing this? If you continue to go back into work, what you're going to do is go into survival mode. Mm. And survival mode is head down, eyes lowered, like your feet are on a set of little train tracks. Just try and get through your day as quickly as possible so you can drag your sorry butt home and maybe you'll feel better tomorrow. Mm. And in that state, what you're focused on, because you're inside the whirlwind of whatever your, your, your professional day is, you're sitting in the middle of a whirlwind. Just imagine that, with all this stuff going on around you. From that perspective, inside the whirlwind, all you can do is see the things that aren't working Mm. and the problems. You can't perceive anything going right from that perspective. And so in my my website, The Happy MD, people can book into my schedule for a free hour-long session called Discovery Session. So I meet all these people who are thinking potentially about getting a coach 
all these doctors, mm. and they want to tell me, you know, this sucks and this sucks and this is really bad. And I say, usually have to say in the first few seconds, okay, stop. And sometimes I actually have to shout it, stop. Mm. Mm-hmm. I do want to hear what's not working. I just don't want to hear it first. Because here's the, the truth, and by the way, everything I'm going to say is super simple, and I doubt that any of it is original to me, mm-hmm. but this is, I have to make it as simple as humanly possible because I'm dealing with somebody who's overwhelmed at the point I'm talking to them. So I have to make it black and white, easy to understand. You can escape everything you don't want, and you still won't get what you want. Because to get what you want, you have to decide what that is and go get it. Most people, when I meet them, are in escape mode. They simply want to run away from the things they don't like, which means wherever they go, it's just a question of luck, sheer unadulterated luck, and it's way less than 50-50 odds that they would get something that's better than where they are now. So what I say is stop, take a big breath, just let all that go right now, and if this was an ideal world and you had a magic wand and you could ping and design for yourself your own ideal practice, your own ideal job, what would that ideal job look like? Hmm. What would you be doing with what kind of people for what kind of hours on what kind of team and what kind of company for what kind of pay where in the world? And every single time from these doctors, I get 40 seconds of silence. And then they say, I don't know, nobody's ever asked me that. And I tell the truth and I say this because nobody else cares. And nobody else would know what your ideal practice is. Only you can know that. Because what burnout's trying to do is wake you up to the fact that you deciding what you really want and going to get it is actually possible. Actually, mm-hmm. if you don't take that step right now, you will either live a life of quiet desperation or you'll suffer a complication, which can include suicide. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with our friends who wrote the book Attracting Perfect Customers? Nope. So I got to know them through our our core linker through Harv. And it's interesting where, you know, and I, I really want to focus on this for a moment, like, because you, for the listeners, is that we get to decide who the perfect customer is. The oh, yeah. Customer, <laughs> the, the, the perfect life. Now, I'm never going to, in spite of me saying I want to be the ba- uh, basketball player, it's never going to happen at five months. <laughs> it's not. So we need well, you to just have, have to have a height-restricted league. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair enough, or, and lower the baskets. And so and then we're good to go. And so maybe, hey, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that. Is that a basketball uh, league for those that are lower than six feet? Anyways, they're not as tall. So part of this is what Dyke is talking about, for everybody that's listening here, is that vision and dream is this internal piece. I mean, that's all the work that we talk about in our different podcasts on my latest book, The Quest for Purpose. But doing the work is if you're not clear about where you're going, what, like you're saying, is any destination will get you there. Well, it's and a little so different. By accident. It's, a li- it, it's a little different. That's a popular phrase. I disagree with it. Which if one is that you're disagreeing with? If you don't know where you're going, any, any road will take you there. That's not true. Any road goes anywhere. If you don't know what you're doing, all you're going to do is satisfy somebody else's job description. Fair enough. And Fair that's enough. never pleasant. Right. And so part of the burnout is, is you've lost your own personal inspiration, your own personal direction. You never had it. it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let me just give you an example from doctors, right? Um, doctors give no conscious thought to their first job because what they've just been through is four years of medical school and three years of residency. And guess what you learn in medical school and residency? How to obey. Mm. There is no wiggle room in a medical school curriculum. You complete the courses, you get the grades, and in four years, even if you're the bottom one in your class, guess what you're going to be at that point in time when you graduate? A doctor. A doctor. 
and then you're going to go to residency. There's no wiggle room on a residency curriculum. You're just a little train on a set of tracks. So you're seven years in now. You're looking for your first job. You've completely forgotten you have free will. You're just looking for somebody else to tell you what to do. And they do. They call it the way we do things around here. Mm. Only now it's not four years of medical school or three years of residency. It's your career that stretches to the horizon. And since the odds that that way we do things around here is 100% matched with your ideal job description, the odds of that are, are zero. At some point in time, you will burn out in that, in that location mm. almost 100% of the time. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, by the way, Dyke, I'm loving our conversation. I hope everybody that's listening is loving it. This, this is so practical, so real. It applies to everybody in life and whatever profession that you're in. Oh, yeah. I just want to digress for a second back to this concept of escape mode. Because I found myself in this uh, a year or two ago as well. Where Just describe that a little bit more where people can be conscious and aware of that I'm actually not deciding to connect or not deciding to go in a new direction. I'm just trying to escape. What would be some other examples of that? Well, um, it's, it's when you decide that you can't keep going this way. You know, I'm not sure, the phrase is always, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this. Mm. Now, I remember saying that every year for seven years mm-hmm. <laughs> in medical school and residency because I had this underlying awareness that this wasn't right. It wasn't me. Um, but uh, you can say that and bounce off of it for a long period of time um, because what what you do know is that what you're being asked to do is typically not a stretch. Right? Mm. You've achieved a level of expertise that your job is not a challenge in most cases. And potentially you're actually making okay money. And uh, we can roll in the concept of opportunity costs and all those kind of things that are different ways of looking at Einstein's insanity trap. Mm. But basically, if you're going to get anything significantly different than what you're getting right now, you have to change your actions. Mm. And this is where I find that the second symptom of burnout can be dangerous. So remember, the second symptom of burnout is when you're cynical and sarcastic. One of the things you may find yourself doing is venting. Just blame, and and you've probably taught people the three signs that you're playing the victim, right? Blame, Mm -hmm. justify, complain. So if you find yourself venting by blaming, justifying, and complaining, what I want you to know is that's a signal that things need to change. But that's not what most people do. What most people do is blame, justify, complain, and vent to let off just enough emotion that they can go back and keep doing exactly the same thing. Just drop right back into Einstein's insanity trap. Mm, mm, but I get the, the escape mode is when you say, I've got to do something. Now, what did I do? And again, I don't recommend doing what I did. I signed my resignation and walked away. It took 10 years for me to understand after that point what was next for me because mm-hmm. it didn't have somebody asking me what did I really want at the point where I made the break. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a doctor, arrogant son of a gun, right? Mm-hmm. Superhero, lone ranger, perfectionist programming. You know? I have to beat myself bloody before I see what's right in front of my face. Your listeners may feel the same sort of way, right? Because yeah. you, you don't get to be an entrepreneur and a professional without being a little bit stubborn, mm-hmm. right? But somebody's got to stop you at some point in time. Maybe you do it to yourself or somebody helps and says, okay, yeah, this sucks, but what do you really want? Because that's an alternate universe that's always available to you. Mm. Thank you, Dyke. So now what do I do? What's next? We have about 10 or 12 minutes left, and I really want to get into your additional strategies to overcome burnout and just have this freedom of it in the future as much as possible. What what would be the next thing? Let me just give you the master framework that you build this on. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you have to do is just stop. Put your career on hold. I say put it in the terrarium. Mm-hmm. So realize this is a transition point, and you're not clear on what the transition is. And for a temporary period of time, several months, you're going to go into work and do your job. You're already good at it, so knock it out of the park, right? Do your job, 
take a big breath when you get home, grab your piece of paper and start working on that ideal job description and write it down. In an ideal world, here's what I'd be doing with these kind of people for this kind of hours, team, money, company, and this is where I'd be doing it in the world. And begin to get super clear on your ideal job description. If you're not clear on what you want to do exactly, but you look at somebody and feel like they may have the answer because of what they do, go shadow them. Go check it out and see if you would want to do that too. If I may interject, Ike, yep. sometimes you hire people like you and I as coaches to help you through this process, correct? Abs absolutely. Okay. Um, a coach is really important. I've always had a coach since I got certified as a coach in 2000, so it's been 17 years. I have a coach because I consistently, I mean, I don't know if this is true for you, Ken, mm. I consistently make the same mistakes and consistently have the same blind spots. And my coach is always there and saying, Dyke, I know you've heard this before, but mm -hmm. you haven't got benefits in that headline. <laughs> it's like, Pro oh, professional right. athletes who run that play a thousand times still have a coach and reminding them right. of the fundamentals and the basics. Why? Right, right. Uh, uh, you win the World Series with the same skills, right? Throw the ball, hit the ball, catch the ball, run. <clears throat> same way you practice when you were six. So, right. yeah, it's really important. So get your ideal jo job description clear. And by the way, you can live your life this way. If you, want a new, if you need a new employee, have an ideal employee description. If you want a great mm -hmm. vacation, have an ideal vacation description. If you want to have a, a, a great relationship, have an ideal partner description. Always start with ideal. Always start with what you want. Because by nature, we'll start with what we don't want. Well, I don't want this, and I don't want that, because it's more mm -hmm. clear in our awareness. That's the way we're wired. Mm -hmm. Then, once you've got your ideal job description, create a Venn diagram, two circles. One's your ideal job, and the other is this job. And ask yourself, this is a feeling. You can do it right now as you listen to my voice. You know what your current job feels like. You can imagine what your ideal job would feel like. What's the percentage of overlap between those two circles right now? Mm. That'll give you a baseline. And by the way, 20 is not good and not sustainable. Mm. 80 is over the top. 80% overlap between your current job and your ideal job. 80% is magnificent. You're just fine-tuning from this point. 60 and above, I think, is good. And now that you've got your ideal as a target and you know where you stand in terms of current overlap, all you do is make a list that you're already pretty clear on, all the things you would want to change about this job to make it more ideal. Write them all down. That takes a while, too, to get on the whole list. Then pick one and take a different action and watch the circles start to overlap more. Over time, when you plateau on your ability to maximize this current job position to be more ideal for you, then you stop and say, I don't think I can go any farther. My question is, okay, what's your overlap, and is that enough? If it's 75%, yeah. you feel, yeah, I'm pretty darn happy with this. You're done, except for fine-tuning, but if you say, it's 60%, and I'm not going to personally tolerate anything less than 80, then we're going on a job search. And in my world, what we're going on is a job search for a physician, typically another clinical position. But in your world, as entrepreneurs, it may be anything, a whole different mm. industry, depending on what your viewpoint is. Mm. Mm. So when you think about all the work that you're teaching um, you know, people with burnout, I suspect you're trying to also set people up so they prevent getting into this position. So what are some of the strategies that are preventative in nature that are maybe in addition to what you've already shared with us? Well, certainly a boundary ritual to shut work off when you go home. Everybody needs something like that. So my and first that, comment as an entrepreneur is how do I do that? Like, yeah. What you do is acknowledge there is a boundary between work and home or you would like it to be. You would like to mm -hmm. shut work off because you have to put the energy in before you can put it out and then establish that boundary as a physical and mindfulness act. So for instance, what I teach people to do is take a big breath when they turn off their car when they get home. And as they exhale, do this. I'm doing the flutter lips. And say, with this breath, I'm coming all the way home. Now, is that going to work every time? 
Well, yes, you'll be more home if you do that than if you had not. But if you practice creating a conscious boundary with some sort of activity when you return home, where you say, with this activity, I'm coming all the way home. I release work. It will be there when I return, and I'm turning my professional um, persona off. You'll get better and better at that over time. And it doesn't have to be a breath. I mean, you could walk the dog, take a shower, change your clothes. Um, I meet a lot of people who have a boundary ritual like this that they really uh, they use every day. Normally, they develop that boundary ritual in recovery from their first or subsequent burnout episodes. Mm. But it's important to put some sort of ritual in there. And then the rest of this all revolves around the ideal job description. And when you get good at it, what you do is you roll that into an ideal life description. And part of an ideal life description is how much of your life and your self-worth is wrapped up on your professional life. Which is, which is well, if we're going to open this up to an ideal life description... You know, how important is your job in that life? Is it like 90% of what you want to see in your obituary? Or are there other things that are also important? Mm. So, for instance, for me, um, I love what I do for a living professionally. But if I couldn't also travel internationally regularly, there would be a big chunk missing. So that's mm. definitely in my ideal life description. Unfortunately, that's a simple thing that you can block off, hack your schedule to block that off well ahead of time, and you can pretty much accomplish anything travel-wise. Mm. It's interesting, Dyke. One of the things we teach entrepreneurs is, is your, are your goals around your business <clears throat> aligned with your lifestyle desires? So example is, I want to take three months a year off, but I have a 24-7 grocery store, and I'm one of only two employees. That's a yeah, structure issue. I get it. <laughs> yeah, okay. So anyways, I was just uh, trying to be practical for the listeners to say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. And what else could you, you know, let's we've got about five minutes left. What else uh, can you leave with us, Dyke, so that we can just act on this and really reduce our stress, reduce our burnout, increase our fulfillment in life? Well, and one of the things that I see over and over and over again is that when you are in a profession that is meant to serve a client, like being a doctor, one of the things that gets left by the wayside in the patient comes first is the notion that you would get to have something for you. So let me, let me just say this. Anybody gets to notice. You have a right to be able to notice how satisfied you are with your career. And you have a right to a satisfaction standard. Meaning, if you're not as satisfied as you'd like to be with your career, you can change it mm. to become more satisfied. Now, I just want to be clear. As a doctor, they beat that out of you in medical school and residency. You don't have a right to time, nutrition, even 20 minutes for a bowel movement once a day because the patient comes first. So when we pop out at the end and we're in private practice, the thought that you would look at your career from the standpoint of how satisfied am I with this, that doesn't exist as a thought process. Mm. And that's one of the things that comes true in burnout is fundamentally you're not happy, you're not satisfied, you can't go on any longer. And it causes you hopefully to look in the mirror and see what it would take. But you have, mm. a, you have a right and you have the ability to notice your level of satisfaction. And if it's not adequate, and you're the one who decides this, no shame, no, ga no, no guilt, no harm, no foul. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not as happy as I'd like to be. I'd like to change that. I say right on. And, but, I'm not, but notice where I'm going to go. What would make you happier? What's the ideal state you're looking for, right? Let's go get us some of that. And by the way, what a lot of people do is they'll pick something that's big that they'd like to be happier about. And because it's big, they say it's impossible because they don't imagine chunking it down into baby steps. Mm. But this is always a journey of baby steps. Isn't it, though? Isn't it, though? Now, Dyke, we're almost out of time. 
and it's been delight delightful and uh, just love having a conversation with you. Uh, we can always expand on this and maybe in a future show. But if people want to find out about what you're doing or even want to refer a colleague or a friend to you, how can they find out about you? Well, our home on the internet is thehappymd.com, T-H-E, thehappymd.com. You have to put the on the front. If you don't, you head to a porn site. So thehappymd.com. <laughs> And you'll find, yeah, you'll find all our free reports and, and uh, uh, a huge amount of blog posts, all sorts of stuff there. Uh, well, thank you uh, for that, Dyke. And I know that you're also now working with uh, uh, you know, government agencies, Ministry of Health, putting in preventative measures, helping with burnout, because if we don't take care of this, our actual productivity, our fulfillment all goes down as a result of it. So, I mean, you're, what would be your purpose now, Dyke? What's your ideal sort of vision for what you're doing in the world now? Well, at, at this point in time, my highest and best use on this mission is uh, training leaders how to create a context in which the doctors are happier and healthier and naturally and automatically offer the best quality care. So mm. I do mostly training and consulting and the day-to-day -day coaching of individual burned out doctors. I've trained six doctors behind me to handle that load. And that's part of it, your ideal and satisfying environment. And well, Dyke, thanks for, uh, Dr. Dyke, thank you for hanging out with us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for asking me, Ken. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Dyke has shared with you just some very critical and important pieces to pay attention to. You know, life's got a lot of stressors in it, and you don't have to be a medical doctor to benefit from this. It's anybody. If you're an entrepreneur, a leader uh, that's taking this home, just go back to this episode. Listen to it over and over. Dyke's got all kinds of information on his site, thehappymd.com where you can have additional information. Reach out to him. Ask him questions. He's a nice guy. I like him a lot. And so uh, thank you for listening. And if you like what we're doing, share this, pass it on. Uh, let us know on some reviews or rating on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or whatever format that you're listening to. All the best in reducing your burnout and increasing your ideal life. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.